You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And uh, some of you are probably going to be falling out of your chairs or beds or wherever you happen to be stationed this morning as we got a Dave's pick going on. And uh, there, there are a lot of reasons. I won't go into detail on some of the reasons, but... Uh, we did a show on this topic uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I decided I wanted to do another show on it and uh, try my best as a radio station to uh, to uh, support someone that I know that uh, known their family, love them, love everything about all of them, and uh, they've been very supportive uh, of uh, uh, things here, and uh, so I wanted to do a show, and if you all were listening in on August the 31st, that was a Friday, on Ron Camacho's show, Business Hour, you'll know what I'm talking about, but before that, I want everybody to get their calculators out, and uh, if you're much better at math than I am, I would have to have a calculator to even start figuring it out, but in my case, I'd have to find one, but anyway, I want to take this for an example of every minute of every day someone is sexually assaulted. Every, now put that in perspective. Every minute of every day. That's, that's incredible. And we have two guests that are going to be talking about that and also an event that's coming up, Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. And we've got Kiana Johnson. Kiana? Okay. And... Uh, then Melinda, and I'm gonna, I've am gonna i screwed up Melinda's name, and I'm too embarrassed to <laughs> screw it up again. And I know how it is to have your, your last name messed up. So, Melinda, I'm just going to – I'm sure you can say it right from the first time. <laughs> Melinda Scatero. And we are delighted to have both ladies here today talking about this event that's coming up. But more importantly, to the point that uh, I, I'm really considering – and if we can get some help from you folks, and uh, uh, Day League happens to be a supporter of this event called Walk a Mile in Her Shoes, and it's all about somebody standing up as a rape victim and wanting to bring attention, bring a spotlight to it. This is terrible. I, As I told uh, Melinda uh, Kuyana, a minute ago. Am I getting close? Getting closer. Uh, Hey, you. No, that's what. No, that's what my mother used to call me. Is hey, you. Uh, No. Anyway, that um, many, many, many years ago, I had a friend that uh, was raped, and and we might talk about it a little bit later. But um, she wound up with, and I can certainly understand why. I don't know what they call it in a situation of rape victims, but it was obviously PTSD and uh, post-traumatic stress disorder many years later. And this is something that uh, I, I, I just I can't imagine for a lady, the experience. And, and it just I, I think any guy that would do something like this and is caught, quite frankly, should be hung in public. And uh, just, you know, well, I cut to the chase anyway. Uh, I, I, it's, it's just, it's beyond terrible, it's beyond gross, it's beyond anything. And I, I can, let me ask you, is it, 
I mean, a number like this every minute of every day, that, I, I can't even guess how many millions that is. I, you know, I can't take 60 times 24, and I'll have to get out my calculator and do it. But anyway, that's a lot going on. And why is it, do you all think, that uh, this is beyond epidemic proportions? This is... Why isn't it all over the news, and why aren't people being thrown in jail day in and day out, minute in and minute out, literally? Why? Why is it just such a grotesque subject that nobody wants to admit to it? Well, admit that it's a happening. Couple of factors. One, a lot of times the um, alleged perpetrator is someone that the victim might know, so oftentimes they might feel that. Um, is this going to break up? A, it could be somebody they know in their family, somebody who's a friend of the family, someone who is their friend. So, uh, in the case that we're talking that brought this to a head or brought mm -hmm. this to the station was a friend of the family. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I just. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. <laughs> That's okay. And so, you know, you might feel that you don't want to break up that those family dynamics or that friendship and that it might be a one-time occurrence you know there are different explanations and then another thing is sometimes the victim is unsure of what exactly occurred because oftentimes they might have been asleep they might have been um having a drink with their friend and then they wake up they don't have their clothes on and they might think well did something happen or they don't know. So do you accuse your friend of something and you're not sure? Do you break up your friendship and you're not sure? So that is another explanation. And then um, oftentimes they just, if it is somebody they don't know or somebody they do know, they just don't want to relive that experience. Only 25 victims per 100,000 um, cases are actually reported. Mm. Give that number again. 25 per 100,000. And what we find, especially on the crisis hotline when survivors are calling in regarding services, is that a lot of times the systems um, set up to find perpetrators guilty um, work against the survivor in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. I mean, in our society, there's a lot of stigma about sexual assault. We use a he said, she said mentality in those cases. And, you know, sexual assault, unlike any other felony, is the only case where the survivor basically has to prove that they are innocent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and we see on the hotline people call in and they haven't told their friends and family because they're you know, they feel guilty even though it's not their fault. They feel to blame for what happened because they were, in their mind, in the wrong place or doing the wrong thing at the time, not recognizing that under no circumstance is the victim ever to blame in a sexual assault, you know. Um, you could be making those same choices, and if you weren't assaulted, you would never think that what you were doing was wrong. You know, going out and getting a drink with your friends at a club is not a bad thing in itself, and so saying, oh, well, she shouldn't have been out drinking or she wouldn't have been assaulted is mm -hmm. the crime that we do to victims every day. I mean, it's a common stigma. It's why juries tend to let perpetrators who we think are open and shut cases uh, walk free. Okay, let me ask. Is that <coughs> is the reason that so many of these cases the perpetrator gets off? Is it because the jury thinks it's 
consent, and I put that in air quotes, when it's not consent, but it's they, well, she let me do it, or, you know, she was asking for it, or, you know. It might be consent, and oftentimes it's just, um, and this gets into the medical exam, and it might just be a lack of evidence to support that something happened against um, the person's will. So it could be that they didn't find any DNA evidence. The victim oftentimes, you know, you're in a stressful situation. So sometimes you might not tell the whole story when you first talk to law enforcement or whoever you first reported to. And then, or parts of your story might change. But sometimes that could be as you your memory comes back, different events come to surface. But when they take that to trial, if it goes to trial, then the jury might look at it like you're not a credible person to give the story because your story has changed. When the defense takes it to trial, then they're like, well, your story changed. We didn't find any DNA evidence. You didn't find any DNA evidence. You don't have a witness to the crime. So it, like Melinda said, it's a he said, she said. And if she already doesn't look credible, unfortunately, if you're saying that you were out at a club, you know, if you... Oftentimes it's the person, you know, um, was wandering down the street, wasn't like what we would call like ran away from home or just was somewhere that as other people would view it where they should not have been or that they put themselves in that situation, which is unfortunate. Someplace a person shouldn't have been. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I can't buy into that because as far as I know we have the freedom to go anywhere we want to go exactly exactly and for some SOB to take that away from you exactly uh, well that's the unfortunate thing we don't think women should be walking alone at night and therefore if you are walking alone at night and something happens our society tells us well you shouldn't have been walking alone at night not that should have never happened to you and that is, you know, one of the things that we work with a lot with survivors that come in for therapy services or come in for exams is that self-blame. You know, mm -hmm. they say to themselves, I shouldn't have been out at night. I shouldn't have. But then you have people who weren't assaulted by a stranger. They were assaulted mm -hmm. by somebody they know. You have people that weren't assaulted late at night. They were assaulted midday at a church event. And should you have not been at church, you know, and that's the thing we have to get across to people is, your actions in no way determine, you know, whether or not somebody's going to take advantage of you exactly. and take us, you know, assault you. We have people who were assaulted in their homes, you know. Um, we have people who were assaulted getting off of the bus. It's, you know, we have people who were assaulted um, walking out of a library. And so it's just a really unfortunate situation that there are people who are watching you so that is, you know, a takeaway lesson just to watch your surroundings because there are people who are watching you, who are watching your habits. You know, we had one situation where the um, person left their garage door open often. So, you know, if you leave your garage door open and you leave that door open to your home, well, they were watching them and they realized that was a pattern for that per particular person. So they knew when their spouse would leave, they knew when the person would be home alone. So they assaulted them in their home, you know, but then you still have that self-blame. Then your partner has self-blame as well because the garage door was left open and the door to the house was left open, you know, and it's unfortunate that we can't be too comfortable. We can't be 
to relax, that we forget that there are predatory people out here. Quite frankly, everybody that's listening, I hope they're getting the sick feeling in their stomach that I'm getting. What you're saying is just Mm -hmm. gross, and and I won't go into detail, but uh, I've said this to someone else, and, and people, and this lady happens not to know that there's sun out, you know, that she's not observant of anything around her particularly mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, I stay scared to death that something might yeah. happen to her because uh, you know you hit it right on the head somebody can be watching you don't know who you don't know what the circumstance is but they could be and I we're going to replay this show a number of times that I guarantee you and we want people to take action and you know you could be a neighbor and see somebody sitting in the same car every morning or something and find out who that is or why they're watching that house or, you know, anything, anything at all. And yet, like you said earlier, three out of four rape victims know the person, and that just is absolutely sickening. And Because even you know, when you people go out on dates, you know, that person, people have gone out on dates and they've been sexually assaulted by somebody that they have been dating, not just the first date, but that they have been dating and they have been sexually assaulted. Unfortunately, people can put drugs in people's drinks um, that make them lose their memory and they wake up in someone's house. And unfortunately, I've had situations where I've had patients who were at wait, wait, let me stop you there. What do you do for a living, and <laughs> what is this organization? I don't know. I think you were trying to tell me something uh, that you have called SANE, or in my case, you walk in here and it's insanity, <laughs> not sanity. But anyway, uh, we, we talk about SANE. What is SANE, and what does it stand for, and what do you all do? Okay. So, Daily started a the sexual assault nurse examiner program. We um, we started working on it and getting it off the ground last year, and it officially saw we officially saw our first patient May nineteenth. To date, we have seen thirty six patients at the sexual assault nurse examiner facility. So, um, a sexual assault nurse examiner, or you can be a forensic examiner like myself, is someone who has extra training. Um, we have registered nurses, we have physician assistants, nurse practitioners, physicians who get extra, extra training to do forensic examinations, which include sexual assault exams. So, if there is a um, person who reports that they have been sexually assaulted, and we will do an exam where we collect a sexual assault kit and where we look for any injuries. Injuries could be bruises, bleeding, scratching throughout their body, especially their genital area. But the big the big takeaway is that we do these exams within 120 hours of the reported assault. Now, is that to say that somebody who is in 120 hours is five days? If someone outside of that five days says calls our crisis line or calls another crisis line and says they have been sexually assaulted they can still have a forensic examination it's just that we cannot 
collect a sec, um, what we would call DNA evidence or do a sexual assault kit on anybody if it's been greater than five days. Now, you're in DeKalb County, but do you do it for other counties in, in Georgia, or is it just strictly DeKalb County? Day League is based out of DeKalb County, but we do... Um, we have done, we will do anybody who contacts our center and says that they need an exam. And with that said, you started May the 19th? Yes. Okay, so you re- probably don't really have any court cases to say whether your evidence holds up or not yet? No. And so after we collect the sexual assault kit, the detective or the investigator would pick up the kit and the kit could include what we actually call the sexual assault the rape kit but it could also be a toxicology kit it could also be the clothing that if the victim has on the same clothing that they had on when the reported assault occurred then we will collect their clothing including you know bras underwear um whatever we think might have DNA evidence on it. And I assume, like they always show on TV or say or whatever, (laughs) under the fingernail. Yes. If they report that they've scratched, another big thing is um, if they report that they bit their perpetrator, we'll make sure that we swab their mouth. We we look, um, and based off of whatever the patient discloses, if the patient says that he licked my neck, then we'll swab their neck. If they say that he bit my shoulder, then we'll swab their shoulder. We take um, forensic imaging as well. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back right after this. It is going to be a very quick break, talking about walking her shoes. We'll be back right after this. You know, you really can't appreciate what someone has gone through until you walk a mile in their shoes. That is why we are bringing the first annual Walk a Mile in Her Shoes to Atlanta. We are literally asking men to walk a mile in high heel shoes to express empathy for women who have been victim of sexual assault. Are you man enough? If so, join us Saturday, September 22nd at Historic Fourth Ward Park. For more information, go to AtlantaWalkAMileInHerShoes.EverydayHero.do. And we're back on America's Web Radio and Dave's pick today. And uh, I picked this because we did a show about it uh, on August the 31st on uh, Ron uh, Camacho's show, uh, The Business Hour, which uh, uh, this is because there's going to be an event uh, September the 22nd called Walk a Mile in Her Shoes, or Their Shoes. And uh, it's all about women that are raped and We've got two lovely ladies in here, Kiana Johnson. Yes. And (laughs) Melinda. Scaturo. Scaturo, yes. (laughs) And uh, I wanted to, uh, if a lady gets in that position, now, my lady friend, I bought her a a, a siren thing that's like a garage door opener, very small, and supposedly makes a lots of noise and uh, then also uh, the the um, uh, uh, pepper spray mm-hmm. but uh, you know if somebody comes up and puts a knife to your throat or a gun to your head or whatever that sort of or even just grabs you mm-hmm. uh, you're you're I've told her literally when she gets out of her car to have something in her hand with her you know be it the siren or be it something. But you never know, and uh, so if you're in a situation, what what should a woman do? 
Well, I think it's important to note that until you're in that situation, you're never going to know how you respond. I mean, I believe Claudia talked about it um, on Rob Camacho's show, but um, the amygdala kind of takes over in those instances, and the amygdala is that part of your brain, that caveman part of your brain that tells you what everybody says, flight or flight, but what they don't tell you is, or freeze. Freeze is also a very common um, natural human reaction, and it's the same in animals. When a smaller animal is attacked by a larger animal, a lot of times they'll freeze, and that shows that they are, um, you know, I'm not going to attack you so that I can survive this. And what we find from a lot of the survivors who call the hotline or who come in for services is that there is a common belief system that happens during that assault that tells them, I might not survive this. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of people, the only goal is survival, you know. And so, you know, we find that a lot of times people who fight tend to get worse injuries. Um, And so it's hard to say, is fighting the best way to survive that? Um, If you're somebody who's a good fighter who's used to fighting, (laughs) you might be able to be successful in that, but a lot of times you can't. And so a lot of what you have to do to prevent sexual assault has to be done before you ever get to the street with the knife to your throat. It's those conversations about boundaries and about empowerment and about telling men that you don't touch without permission ever and, you know, that you always make sure it's okay before you give somebody a hug and you don't force children to hug relatives that, you know, you think, oh, well, it's just Uncle Jim. Give him a hug. I don't want to. Okay, don't make the child give Uncle Jim a hug, you know, and that's the thing that we find um, a lot of times is that our natural relationships and the way that we teach people to be respectful a lot of times um, can put people into awkward positions where that showing of respect or those expectations we have on people to say, oh, you're not being respectful because you're not doing these things, when um, a lot of times it's protective mechanisms that we should all be kind of implementing in our own lives and in the lives of our children. And um, so I guess the thing I would say is that we as a society have to change the way that we tell men and women to interact before we can truly make people, you know, safe in these situations. If you're assaulted, yes, there are steps that you can take to get the services you need. And you know, one that, that uh, not every woman or person can do this on command, but... Uh, I was an EMT many, many, many years ago, and uh, one of the quickest ways to end an assault, throw up all over them. <laughs> throw up on them. Okay. Yeah, if you can, if you can. If you can. I mean, it's a sickening situation, so mm-hmm. some women can, some women can't, but that uh, that will certainly uh, back a guy down quickly. Yeah. Well, and some guys. I mean, that's the unfortunate yeah. thing is that you never know what will and will not deter someone and and like I said there's no way to know how in those instances mm-hmm. you would interact um, um, it is important to note also that our event very much so is geared towards um, the gendered violence the gendered sexual violence against women and getting men and women to stand up against it but you know our services are not just open to women I mean yes. Kiana has performed exams for men 
Um, and so, you know, just being aware that this is something that happens to both men and women and that services are available to both genders. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, we as a society very much so look at this as a women's issue when it's, it's actually as a equally men's a men's issue. It is definitely a men's issue, and unfortunately, be, um, men have a harder time reporting it because oftentimes it's looked at like, you know, am I having some um, um, sexual orientation issues because this happened to me? Um, and going forward, what is my sexual orientation? And it's something that they don't want to address, they don't want to discuss. And so they don't report it as frequently. And it can be where men could have been sexually assaulted from another man or men could have been sexually assaulted by a woman. And they definitely feel that there is some hesitation with reporting because oftentimes people want to think, well, how could you have been sexually assaulted by a woman? But it does happen. And um, piggybacking off of what Melinda said, one thing is in our society, it's become difficult for us to say no. And if you say no, then people look at you like, oh, you have attitude. Oh, well, you're mean. And it could be something little as in just saying no because somebody touched your arm. You know you felt uncomfortable, but you didn't say no. You didn't speak up. You didn't say anything. So then that person might go a step farther and a step farther. And then six months, a year later, you are sexually assaulted by that person and you're thinking back to the first time that you did not say no and then you began blaming yourself because should you have said no the first time but nobody can tell you how to feel until you're in that situation everybody handles these situations different and it's difficult because when you tell your story you're often thinking well you're blaming yourself and you're thinking what could I have done differently but there is not anything you could have done differently because nobody knows until they're in that exact situation what they would do. What I would tell, recommend, and this is even for myself because I've studied this, I got a doctorate in forensic nursing, but if I was in that situation, would I necessarily act on the things that I know? I know I'm a mother and even things that I know when my children are sick. Do I act on them when they're sick? Because you still have that emotional component to consider, even though you know what you should do. But if you do remember, and if you are being um, sexually assaulted, there are some steps I would recommend is that you, you scratch the perpetrator, you bite them, you try to obtain some kind of DNA evidence so that if you do report it and you do get a medical exam, there is some kind of DNA evidence that we can attempt to collect. We cannot say that we are always successful in collecting DNA evidence because you have the components of um, showering, it going away um, with eating, drinking, urinating. Um. But you, you also said, okay, you collect all the information, and like this friend of mine that was raped, this goes back many, many years ago, even to the point of how the guy dropped his wallet and... They had his driver's license, they had this, they had that, thought it was going to be a slam dunk case, and he walked. So with all of this evidence like you're talking about, the DNA evidence or whatever, you're saying, what, six out of a thousand 
Was that the number you gave? Twenty-five out of a hundred thousand reported, but, but what's the um, prosecution? Oh yeah, six out of. I'm not sure it's on the national um, sexual assault network, but it's. I think it's one out of. I mean, six out of a hundred thousand are successfully prosecuted. Or, pro- or successfully prosecuted. Mm-hmm. That's just okay, folks. If you're on a trial, <laughs> listen and listen to the young lady or the lady that is the victim. The person that's accused of it is laughing at you. And that person, like I said earlier, should be hung in public as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, this, this, and I can't imagine why, with the numbers that you all have presented, this is a national crisis. This is, you know, all over the place, mm-hmm. obviously. I think education is a big thing. Like, I had a patient um, a while back where, and I haven't been in this situation, so I can't say what I would do, but a big thing is education and knowing the steps to take if you are sexually assaulted. But we had a patient, and she came in, and she said, I took a shower ten times because I felt so dirty afterwards. Well, I'm looking at her medical examiner like, okay, I understand emotionally that you took a shower 10 times because you felt dirty, but here you are, and I need to collect DNA evidence. But what you've told me is you took a shower, you brushed your teeth, you've eaten, you've drank. And so if I have to tell somebody what to do after they're sexually assaulted, the number one thing is, you know, if you want to report, contact law enforcement. You can contact our our um, referral line. But even if you don't want to report, we do sexual assault examinations on people who don't know, who don't know what want to report or who are not sure if they want to report. We will still collect the rape kit. We will still do an examination, and by law, we can hold that rape kit for twelve months. So, if in that time period you decide that you want to report, we've done the rape kit already. So the big thing is don't take a shower, don't eat or drink, don't um, if you can if you can it's easier to um, said than done. But try not to urinate. If you do have to urinate, don't wipe. You know, if you have to have a bowel movement, don't wipe because what we want to do is try and preserve whatever DNA evidence is on your body. We're not always saying that there is going to be DNA evidence, but if there is some DNA evidence, we want to have the best opportunity to collect it. And so you can come to us even if you're not sure if you want to report. And that way, because, you know, you only have five days, but by law is saying five days to collect the sexual assault kit. But in all honesty, it's really like 24, those first 24 to 48 hours are really crucial in trying to collect the DNA evidence. And I do want to make sure it's clear. Um, we are located in DeKalb County, but we do not turn away any victim based on their geographic location. I mean, if they came to us from Cobb County or Gwinnett or if they came to us from, you know, Fulton County, we would still see them in our facility and we would still collect that evidence. Okay. It is a How little did bit... Day League start up, do you know? Um, yeah, so Day League has been in existence, uh, I think it'll be 30 years this September, October. And um, when we first started, um, there were some studies done on people presenting at Grady Hospital for um, sexual assault exams, and it turned out that a pretty high percentage of those people were from DeKalb County. And um, so the 
Junior League of DeKalb County, um, with a number of other organizations, did a fundraiser to help raise the money to start providing services to survivors in DeKalb County. And so through a partnership with um, DeKalb Medical Center, um, we not only provided individual and group therapy services, but we also started providing medical accompaniment to DeKalb Medical Center. And we've been doing that for a number of years. Our crisis hotline um, started, I believe, in 1989 or sometime around there, and it's been going 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year ever since then. And that's run entirely by volunteer victim advocates. And so, you know, we transitioned to this new SANE program um, as Kiana started. We started working on it last year. We started writing the grants for it back in, I think, July of last year. We found out that we had gotten the funding in October. Um, but the reason we really did that is we wanted survivors to be able to come and get a forensic medical exam in a private suite so that they don't have to go and sit in an ER and, you know, be triaged along with people who have had heart attacks or things like that, that they might have to wait hours and hours and hours. We wanted them to be able to have um, access to those exams by a sane nurse, a sexual assault nurse examiner, a forensic medical examiner, because as you were saying earlier, the exams are going to be hopefully looked at in a courtroom and a group of jurors are going to look more seriously at it if it's done by somebody specifically trained in collecting that evidence versus just an ER nurse or an ER doctor who, yes, still are medically trained, but not trained in forensics. Um, and, you know, in addition to that, we're able to have paid advocates on staff that can be there with the survivor. They can help through the process. They can do case management. They follow up on those exams, mm -hmm. the non-reporting exams, multiple times throughout the year. Um, and in addition to all of that, we're able to provide kind of um, a direct route to those necessary services that come after getting that exam, that come after that assault, things like the individual therapy right? services, group therapy services, and even things like if somebody needs a U visa or if they need shelter, we have those resources. We don't specifically have a shelter, but we work with other organizations that do. And so, you know, any of those different things that people don't think of occur due to mm -hmm. a sexual assault, we're usually able to point them in the right direction. And that same program is really one of those first points of contact along with our 24-hour crisis hotline. So if... Give me a, a sort of an overview maybe of a timeline. A, a lady is raped. Mm -hmm. Does she call a friend and say, I need your help? Or does she... I mean, so something like this is so traumatic. I don't know what I'd do in my mind. <laughs> yeah. what, you know, what you all are telling me, uh, you know, would obviously don't stop and go. Go directly yeah. to your all's facility or call and say I'm coming in or something like that or whatever you, whatever the procedure is. But, you know, if, if I guess by the same token, a lot of people would call a friend or a lot mm -hmm. of ladies would call a friend. Mm -hmm. If you are a friend and someone calls, don't pass go, just mm -hmm. go directly to your old facility and say, look, you've got, you've got to do this. So they can't they come directly to our facility. What they can do is we have a direct phone number that will set them up with our advocate and our advocate will arrange for them to come to our facility. But if someone is sexually assaulted, most first, let's back up. For, most of our referrals are coming from the hospital still. So what DeKalb Medical often is doing since we started in May 
they will contact us directly and say we have this patient here they don't triage the patient if the patient looks stable then they will put the patient in a private room they will contact us and we will say okay we have somebody at our facility you can come to our facility our protocol is that our victim advocates are there at night from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. but during the day our victim advocates has a have a 15 minute response time to be at our exam suite so after the victim advocate is there they are on the phone with either DeKalb Medical or it could be law enforcement will call and say I have a patient who is sitting at in my chair and I need to bring them over for an exam. So they will bring them over. Our sexual assault nurse examiners have 60 minutes from the time that the victim advocate contacts them to arrive at the facility. So what has happened before is these people would go to the hospital. They would wait in the waiting room. You know how long an emergency room waiting room could be. Then you go in. How well I <laughs> you go, you get triaged, and two things are happening. It's wait, you're there a very long time, and then you're having to tell your story to several people. And, and that's one of the most important things that a sexual assault nurse examiner program brings is that we don't ask the victim to tell their story to our victim advocate and then tell their story to the nurse and then tell their story to law enforcement. The nurse does not ask the victim to tell the story. The nurse will ask the victim to tell them specifics so that they will know how to collect the evidence or any potential evidence, but the victim advocate does not ask the victim what happened. That that is just not what we do because we don't want the we want to minimize the amount of trauma that that patient has to relive or deal with. Uh, would you say, in general terms, that I don't want to say in most cases, but in that the trauma of the rape is more and ongoing obviously mm -hmm. mentally than physically oh, oftentimes it can be mentally um, more mental trauma than physical trauma uh, one thing that can happen is you can get a sexual assault exam and sometimes we might not find any DNA evidence we might not find anything on the patient's body no bruises no injuries but what that often often does is so, yes, you have that mental trauma, but I can at least walk away and know that I've been treated for sexually transmitted infections. I've been tested for sexually transmitted infections. We do not test for sexually transmitted infections at our center, but we will recommend, we advise the patient where to go to get tested. We don't provide HIV prophylaxis, but we do provide information on where to get HIV prophylaxis. But we do provide some antibiotics for some sexually transmitted infections. So even though you have two things going on, you have the physical trauma, you have the mental trauma, just getting that medical exam, you can rest assured that, okay, I've done, the, I'm okay physically, or the things that I have on my body that are physical will heal, or you get some advice so that you have a little bit more comfort, and you, yes, you're going to deal with that mental trauma, but you don't want to have to deal with both, and then in the back of your head, you're wondering, am I pregnant? Do I have any STDs? You know, so we can help alleviate those questions you might have going on in the back of your head where you can still focus on getting help mentally. Yeah, and I think it's important to realize that, you know, we can say if you want to have a successful trial, you know, 
this is the steps that you should take, but that doesn't necessarily mean that these are the steps that every single person should take and is going to take and will take. And I think we as a society too often say, oh, well, she didn't go get a forensic medical exam, so she must not have really been assaulted, when in reality... Most people don't go get a forensic medical exam, and if they do go get an exam, they might not go within the window, or they might shower, like Kiana said, and that's the hard thing, is there's not a rule book of, here's what you do when you get assaulted, you know? So, whatever decision someone makes if they're they're assaulted, what our organization tries to do is just put that control back in their hands and tell them, these are the steps you can take, and these are the steps that you can kind of choose from, but make the decision that's best for you, and I think that, you know, getting a forensic medical exam is re-traumatizing, but it also does give you that peace of mind and make you feel like you're taking positive steps towards your own um, healing. healing, if that makes sense. And same for, you know, going to court. Going to court can be extremely triggering. And we have people who are fine and they say they're fine and they don't need therapy. And then all of a sudden they're in court and now, you know, they've been triggered. They need mm-hmm. to come. They're having, you know, PTSD symptoms all over again. So and maybe, so maybe we make America's Web Radio that book that you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, you know, that. Um, Weekly, we give tips mm-hmm. and points. On that what, works. Yeah. You know, that uh, works. and I'm looking at it, there's, there's two sides of the story, too, and that you've got the victim, but you've also got the victim's family yes. mm-hmm. that has to deal with it. And that's got to be traumatic as hell for them. Yeah, as exactly. Well. And yeah. we do provide therapy services to secondary survivors, husbands and wives and parents, etc., if those services are needed. Um, because you don't think about the emotional toll it takes sometimes on the family members. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have instances where the family um, is not supportive at all, and then you have instances where the family is trying to be supportive, but maybe they don't know how to be supportive. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. Another thing that comes up is, um, and it comes up quite often, is you have a family member who's been sexually assaulted. They come forward, and you're dealing with, your family member, whether it be your daughter, your sister, your mother. But what happens is that person, a family member who's dealing with their family member who has just been sexually assaulted, was also sexually assaulted in the past. And what I'm finding is a lot of times when I'm talking to families, the mother, the sister discloses, I was sexually assaulted, you're the first person I've told. And so they're dealing with their own trauma, reliving their own trauma, and also trying to be supportive of whoever their family member is who comes in for a sexual assault exam. And that is just, um, oftentimes you have family members who are trying to help that family member do it differently from how they did it because they're trying to get resolve for themselves and resolve for their family member. And um, so it is important that we just keep educating the public on what they can do because what happens is you might think, well, I'm outside of that five-day window and it's no point in getting a forensic exam. It's no point in talking to anybody about it. It's no point in calling the crisis center. But there is because we have services that can help you no matter where you are in the process. We're going to take our final break, and we'll be back talking about an issue that happens 
every minute of every day in the United States. Is this the United States or around the world? That's in America, every 98 seconds. Every 98 seconds, someone is sexually assaulted. Yeah. I'm sorry, my my little bitty brain can't get a handle on that. That's, that's just too big <laughs> a number for me to work with. But um, I know you all are supporting an event that's coming up very shortly called Walk a Mile in Her Shoes, and uh, we support it too. And we'll be back right after this. You know, you really can't appreciate what someone has gone through until you walk a mile in their shoes. That is why we're bringing the first annual Walk a Mile in Her Shoes to Atlanta. We are literally asking men to walk a mile in high heel shoes to express empathy for women who have been victim of sexual assault. Are you man enough? If so, join us on September 22nd at Historic Fourth Ward Park. For more information, go to Atlanta Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. EverydayHero.do. Obamacare is failing, but in order to get back on the right track with health policy, people need to be informed. Obamacarewatch.org is your resource to understand what's happening with this law and what you can do to stay active, stay informed, and make positive change happen. Obamacarewatch.org. Visit us now. You know, you really can't appreciate what someone has gone through until you walk a mile in their shoes. That is why we are bringing the first annual Walk a Mile in Her Shoes to Atlanta. We are literally asking men to walk a mile in high heel shoes to express empathy for women who have been victim of sexual assault. Are you man enough? If so, join us Saturday, September 22nd at Historic Fourth Ward Park. For more information, go to Atlanta Walk a Mile in Her Shoes dot everydayhero dot do. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, we're back on America's Web Radio and uh, Dave's pick for this Monday. And uh, I picked this subject for a number of reasons, and uh, none of which I'll really go into, but um, I have my reasons, and I think it's something... Again, I, I just can't imagine every 98 seconds, every minute of every day, someone is sexually assaulted in the United States. Now, folks, if that doesn't wake you up, it could be your relative, your daughter, your friend, your whoever is sexually assaulted. That number just makes me sick. And the fact, too, that most it's actually almost double jeopardy. I'd say almost most victims are victims initially, and then they're turned into secondary of uh, victims by the court and the system. And it, and you know they've heard of the cases that go to trial, and the guy he or she gets off that was a perpetrator, and it just goes from bad to worse. But I want I want to talk about a little bit cheerier. If, I guess it's a little bit cheerier subject. Yeah. I can't. I can't imagine a bunch of guys in high heels trying to walk a mile. <laughs> uh, 
I trip on my own boots sometimes, <laughs> much, much less high heels. So uh, do they have to be the spike or the stiletto no, type? No, they get to pick what kind of red heels they would like to walk <laughs> in. And uh, there's a number of comfort options. Uh, you know, we've had a couple of people go out to some local universities and talk to people about it. And one thing I heard that made me laugh was one girl was telling men, and if you duct tape your first toe to your second toe, it actually makes them a lot more comfortable. And you should try a wedge. It's easier to walk in and you won't get stuck in the grass. And I thought that was hilarious that we're giving <laughs> these men good advice on how to walk a mile in these shoes. But, um, you know. Do you know where that came from? The Walk a Mile in Her Shoes yeah. event? No, the name. Or, or what that really relates yeah. back to. Oh, yeah. That whole saying of you can never really truly understand someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. But who, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. American Indians. Oh, okay. Uh, walk a mile in my moccasins. Oh, okay. That was actually, it wasn't shoes, it was moccasins. And uh, until you, and this this was when they were battling mm-hmm. American military to try to uh, explain that we didn't, we didn't know what the Indians were going to, Native Americans were going mm-hmm. through because we had never walked a mile, we had never had our deer taken, our livelihoods taken mm-hmm. away from us. And uh, I don't know which great Indian it was that said it, but it was a it was a Indian, a Native American Indian expression. Walk a mile in my moccasins. Okay. Okay. So. Yeah. So. And I mean, it definitely speaks to the truth of the matter sure. that you you truly can't understand what. Um, another person's lived experience mm-hmm. is until you've walked a mile in their shoes. And, and you know, the unfortunate or maybe fortunate thing is even walking a mile in these heels won't truly show you exactly what somebody's gone through, but it is um, our way of educating um, Atlantans of standing up against these types of things and being an active bystander and saying, no, we don't support this. And um, and it allows people to take a symbolic journey mm-hmm. to support the um, women and men in their lives who have experienced sexual violence. I think it should just it will help because we need to dispel some myths. Um, like we talked about earlier, if someone doesn't come forward and report, if they don't report at all, if they don't report within the five days, then, you know, instantly there are some thoughts in people's head like, oh, well, did it really happen? And then if they were at the club drinking or they went on a date or they went on a blind date and met somebody on the Internet and then they went on a date that, oh, well, then it was her fault or it was his fault. So I think it just brings that awareness that we need to dispel and we need to address some of these common myths that people are believing about sexual violence and sexual assault. And that's the biggest part of this um, for us. I mean, yes, as Daily, we are the benefactors of the event financially, but also um, what drew us to this event is this opportunity for education and for, um, you know, really opening up a dialogue and a conversation with these people who are participating, with these people who are sponsoring, with the community about this is something that happens, this is something we can't ignore that it's happening, and we have to work together as a society 
to help. And part of that helping is just that these men who are walking in this event and these women who are coming out and supporting these men who are walking this event are now having these conversations, maybe over dinner, maybe on the radio, where they're saying, this is happening and we can't ignore that it's happening and what can I be doing different? And part of what we're hoping the day of the event is that through some of our incredible speakers, people will learn, like, how do I be supportive when my friend comes and says to me, hey, I was assaulted. You know, what can I say to them? Where can I tell them to go? You know, and and how can I do that without increasing their self-blame, without making them feel guilty? make them feel supported and believed and that's what a lot of our survivors when they first call our hotline you know they tell us you're the first person i've told who believed me and and that's incredible when you think about your own personal network of people if you were in this person's shoes who in your network would you tell that would support you and believe you and then when you're in that situation realize those people you thought would be supportive are not that's that's what a lot of the people who are coming and receiving our services find themselves with. And so, you know, Day League is able to be that support network sometimes, which is great. But also, we as a society have to work towards building these peop- people up and, mm-hmm. and, you know, helping them in these instances, not okay. just emotionally. Let's get to <laughs> Waccamaw. Sounds good. 22nd of September. Yes. Where? It's at Historic Fourth Ward Park in what's called the Bowl is where it starts, and we'll be walking around um, the park uh, in front of Pot City Market. Um, so it's a mile in the park, and then um, after that, there's going to be music. There's going to be Bloody Marys. There's going to be foot massages for all the men who need them. <laughs> and um, and in addition to that, we have some incredible speakers. Um, who are going to come out and talk. And now guys uh, don't have to wear their tutus or anything like no, that. No, absolutely not. You know, we provide Levi's T-shirts. And Levi's and high heels. Yeah, when you when you register for the event, you get a T-shirt. and So um, support team members get a shirt. Walkers get a shirt. They can wear it with their tutu if they want or jeans, <laughs> um, khaki shorts, whatever they're comfortable in. Um, for anybody who for, you know, health reasons isn't able to wear heels if they um, still wanted to participate, they can sign up as a um, support team member or we do have some red shoe covers for some people if they have to wear their tennis shoes. But um, we're really hoping and pushing for people to come out in the red high heels and uh, do the symbolic walk. You know, if this could go like the, uh, the pink cancer thing, has gone with the NFL and mm-hmm. different national organizations, you know, and I don't see why it shouldn't. It, it, uh, the numbers are just mind-boggling to me. Yeah. So this is September the 22nd. What time and how do they, can we, can somebody sign up in advance? How do they do that? Yeah, we, we would prefer if people sign up in advance. There is a website. It's um, the Atlanta Walkamon Her Shoes website. Um, and we can probably post that somewhere, but it is also on Day League's website, dayleague.org. Um, but from that website, they can register to walk. They can register as a support team member. They can create a team and invite their friends to register with them. Um, because day of, we'll be giving prizes for the largest team. We'll be giving prizes for the best team name. 
um, for the most dollars raised. And so, um, you know, that's one of the fun things about the registration website is you can, you know, invite all your friends to join you to chip in five, ten, fifteen, two hundred, five thousand dollars, whatever they you know <laughs> want to chip in. Um, and there are different prizes that can be one day of. So it should be kind of a fun, lighthearted way for us to really bring this issue to the forefront. And so we're looking forward to it. And if the wives want to come out with their husbands, they can be on the sideline rooting them on or yelling and screaming for them to walk faster? Yeah, that's one of the (laughs) things that we're really hoping um, is that anybody who's not actually walking but still wants to come out and support will um, register as a support team member, get the support team t-shirt, and then we're going to have different checkpoints throughout the way where they can come and cheer on, and then we're really thinking that that last tenth of a mile will actually have all of the support team members join the guys and kind of walk them across the finish line. To symbolically represent that idea of not just being a bystander, but being an involved bystander and really being there and supporting somebody through the end of that journey of healing. And so, um, and so that's kind of what we're looking to have happen at the event itself is that last little stretch, have everybody walk together. Well, ladies, this has been unenjoyable, quite frankly. <laughs> okay. Uh, I hate it. I hate to say it like that, but I have not. Uh, this has not been entertaining to me at all. Very informative, but not entertaining. And I mm-hmm. just whatever I can do with the station, and it's mine, so I can do whatever I want to with it. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do something to get this word out. It's got to be gotten out. Mm-hmm. And I, I as we didn't go into it because I probably would have gone to pieces. And that's the little girls that are abused too and the ones that that are abused that are are brought over from different countries and sold into human trafficking slavery Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't go into I just I would have y'all would have lost you would have lost your host (laughs) that wouldn't have been good because there's not anybody else here to do this so but we are going to keep talking about it we have to Mm-hmm. We have to. There's a, we have no choice. And we're going to get national attention some way or the other. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm sure it's not just in Atlanta. It's Absolutely across the not. country. And, yeah. uh, and it's not rich or poor either, I don't think. It's, no. Uh, Sexual assault does not discriminate. It does not. Yeah, it should be. And it should be that person gets shot right before they do it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. You know, I, I have, I have no. I, I just, you know, this, this is all just terrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you all will make me one promise, and that's to come back, of and course. we'll talk about it some more, and uh, we'll get a report on uh, walking her mile and the, and pictures of the guy. No, we won't take pictures of the guys. Anyway, <laughs> with that said, I'm going to have to get going and get out of here and uh, get ready for. Uh, our next show, which is the NSPS Hour on America's Web Radio. So stay tuned for Kurt Sumner and his guest. And I want to thank you all for coming. And, and thank you for having us. I do expect yeah. to have you back. Thank Absolutely. you. Take care.